keeping accountable, communicating your progress to stakeholders. This interview with Robin Leeson of the Global Reporting Initiative was recorded as part of the Grow With Purpose event. Robin Leeson is Vice Chair of the Global Sustainability Standards Board of the Global Reporting Initiative. She has more than 25 years experience in the sustainability field. She's worked for government agencies at all levels uh, and as a consultant to business and industry as well um, on policy development, strategy and reporting in sustainability. She's served on multiple governance bodies of the Global Reporting Initiative over the years and currently as Vice Chair of the Standards Board. So welcome, Robin. Thanks, Sarah. So first, can you give us an overview for anyone who um, isn't aware what sustainability reporting is all about? Because it's actually quite a large industry <laughs> that your average person may not even be aware of. Yeah, so it, it is one of those um, grow, young and growing industries, although I've worked in it for a, a long time, a long time now since the Global Reporting Initiative actually um, first started. And one of the interesting things about doing this session at the end of two days is that reporting is sometimes a bit like um, reverse engineering, in a sense, you can't really report or disclose on things that you're not doing. Um, and so in some ways, the standards actually ask for a bunch of things um, and ask you to disclose, oh, what are you doing about this? Or what are you doing about that? Well, if you're not doing much, um, then it doesn't take long to disclose that, right? So it is, uh, lots of people think about reporting, oh, then I'll do a report at the end. Um, but in this case, the standards are actually asking you to think about a lot of stuff before you go into preparing a report on it. And sustainability reporting as a, a cottage industry as it is now, was really born of a need for transparency and accountability um, by larger organisations in particular, and, and in particular um, corporates and, and businesses. Now it's more of a way of communicating your impacts, um, your risks, your opportunities and, and your performance um, overall. And it's used to build sort of trust, um, attract capital um, and, and gain a, a competitive advantage sometimes as well. So it has multiple um, uses. Most large and listed companies do prepare some sort of sustainability reporting these days. So. Um, every couple of years, KPMG does a survey of this sort of activity. Um, and last year, they, their survey of um, 5,200 companies across 52 countries found that 80% of them um, report on sustainability. Um, and that might be on their carbon um, or on their association with the UNSDGs. Um, but you can go to pretty much any large Australian listed companies website um, these days and find some sort of sustainability information or a standalone sustainability um, report. Um, and they usually feature all these metrics and narrative on safety, diversity, energy consumption, greenhouse gas emissions, a whole bunch of social um, and environmental um, issues that they're, they're dealing with or responding to. Um, but one of the main things is that you don't need to produce a big glossy report against global standards um, to, to get some benefits from this. And it's not a requirement, except in some jurisdictions. And mostly we refer to disclosure over reporting these days, that these are disclosure standards. So we're not implying that you do have to produce X pages worth of glossy narrative in order to be doing sustainability reporting and disclosure in that sense. Yeah, I, I think that that's so important. Although I think the word disclosure is also probably a little bit scary for a small business. So um, I'm tending to refer to it as communication of yeah. you know, your sustainability efforts, perhaps. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's, and so why should a business be disclosing or communicating those efforts? Yeah, well, so for the large end of town, um, it usually comes with, there's usually a fair bit of reporting um, and communication um, that is mandatory 
anyway. So things around greenhouse gas emissions and diversity now, um, human rights and modern slavery, they're all legislative frameworks which require companies of more than a certain size or revenue um, to actually do some of this reporting anyway. Um, but there's a lot of drivers for voluntary reporting which have benefits to them and, and some in some sectors or some individual business models you get more benefits or different types of, of benefits. For the larger listed, their, their shareholders and their investors want to know. So when we think about um, some of our listed agriculture companies like Grain Corp and Costa Group and Bigger Cheese, um, investors are increasingly wanting to know, oh, well, okay, we, it's great that your financial performance is this, um, but we're wanting to know much more about how you're using water how is water a constraint on your business model um, going forward? Where do you get your water from? How much do you use? Is that a lot of water or is that a little bit of water? What does that mean for how you create um, value to shareholders and should I be concerned about that? So increasingly that the, those listed companies are getting those sorts of pressures from investors, but there's a big variety of other um, audiences um, as well, but particularly when you, you have SMEs involved too. So equally, those same companies, there are audiences, for example, uh, among non-government organisations. So animal welfare groups, for example, want to know what dairy companies like Fonterra and Saputo um, are doing um, when it comes to animal welfare policies, how they deal with um, on-farm issues, how they manage those relationships with suppliers um, in terms of animal welfare outcomes. Or equally, WWF wants to know about how they're managing biodiversity and deforestation in their supply chain. Um, and then you've also got customers and suppliers. So businesses who you're buying from, um, who you're selling to, increasingly um, customers want to know that information about each other. So you do have those platforms, which I'm sure you've spoken about already, like SEDEX, um, where a large, larger company um, will ask for information from hundreds of its smaller suppliers. So you're, if you're a small business that's selling something to one of these larger guys um, who's, who's reporting this information, increasingly they're asking for much more information about their suppliers than they ever have been before, particularly on environmental um, and social issues. Um, they want to know things around human rights and um, labour practices, specific environmental issues, depending on what sector they're in. Um, so if, if you've got one of these large um, corporates that you're supplying to, um, then you'll be asked for more and more of this information. And another audience is staff. So current and potential staff that might want to work for you. Increasingly, they want to know that you've got um, a purpose that's worth backing over and above being paid and making money, um, which you've talked about a lot, but also that you're dealing with your challenges and your, your footprint, um, for want of a better term. Um, and years and years ago, it was probably 30 years ago now, um, it was the primary reason that some of these companies started doing this sort of reporting and communication anyway. So, so Mark Moody-Stewart, who was the chair of Shell um, back at that time when they first started reporting, he used to talk about, yes, they had, they were accused of um, all sorts of atrocities um, in Nigeria in terms of social issues. They were scuttling an oil platform in the North Sea, so lots of environmental issues. Greenpeace had physically pitched tents on his front yard and were camped there, raising awareness. But the thing that moved them the most was that they were used to attracting the best, brightest chemical engineers out of European universities, and that was starting to dry up. So people, they were young, graduates were sort of looking and going, mm, don't know if I want to work there, um, and were sort of voting with their feet. So staff, potential staff are, you know, a really, really important audience for some of this communication um, as well. Another great benefit is around sort of measuring and managing 
some of your impacts too that have a cost saving. I think John Purcell talked about some of this um, earlier. Um, so if you're measuring, starting to gather data on things like energy, water and waste, they're all costs to business um, as well. And some of your um, contractors um, are also um, representing costs. If you're not sort of following along the, um, the volume of that in terms of an environmental impact, anything you can do to save on those things is also a, a, a bottom line saving too. So it's only when you start to communicate that and, and gather that data and watch it and look at the trends that you can start to work out, well, how do I increase something or decrease something? And so all of those benefits, I think, translate into small business just as much as, as larger, um, larger companies too. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think that um, you also touched before on something that might be an accidental benefit for a lot of businesses. It's not what they go into disclosure for, but happens after the fact is, as you said, that it's um, the little bit of a, a backward approach that it's um, or a reverse engineering. So when people start gathering all of their information to, um, to disclose, looking at their management approach and pulling together all of that performance data, that in itself is like a strategic planning process where they're realizing, oh, we need to be focusing more on these things that we say is important to us. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, now like we haven't actually been paying close attention to the performance um, in terms of energy use or water use or waste. Now that we've pulled it together, we're saying, oh, we're not doing so good. We need to <laughs> actually start focusing in on that. So I think that that's often kind of a secondary, but just as important benefit of it too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now, often when I talk to friends who are not in the corporate sustainability space about, well, CSR and especially sustainability reporting, they all say, oh, well, that's all greenwashing, right? Like that's, they're all big evil companies who are just like putting out these glossy reports. So I think um, how how is the Global Reporting Initiative basically trying to address that? What is the role of the Global Reporting Initiative and why is this a standardized approach to reporting addressing that? Yeah, so, so the GRI has been around for 25 years or so, I think now, and it actually created the first set of standards for organisations to use when they're doing these this sort of reporting. So I think the idea at the start was something that would parallel financial reporting um, and create some standards and consistency so um, people could compare apples with apples so that if you were comparing say a BHP um, with a Fortescue um, then you would be able to see well oh they're reporting on um, in the same way so they might be reporting on some of the same things but they're at least using this, some of the same methodologies um, the same assumptions the same technical parameters um, it that doesn't necessarily always work work that way because this is still a young um, area compared to say financial reporting. Uh, but the, the intention was to have a consistent set of standards that organisations would use um, so that comparisons um, would be possible. It still is used mostly by larger organisations and we sort of be honest about that. But there are resources for SMEs that, that GRI has um, developed, which, which we can share in the chat box later and we can talk about a bit more but um, the standards themselves are very um, principles based in in that sense so for, for SMEs there's upfront there's a set of principles that everyone is expected to use um, to work out what's important and I think this is where um, the GRI standards are uh, modular these days so you don't have to use them in their entirety you can pluck out um, the standards or the topic specific standards that make sense to your business um, and you can use them in a way that that is fit for your purpose. Um, so there are um, topic specific standards for things like energy, water, waste, but also things around human rights and procurement um, and um, occupational health and safety. So a whole bunch of environmental and social topics and you can pluck those out and use them but up front there is also guidance um, and principles around how you do this sort of communication 
and and I think they're still very scalable and useful um, for SMEs um, as well. So the principles are a really good starting point, and it's as simple as um, saying, uh, in short, it's looking at what you do, where you do it, and who you do it with tells you a lot about the environmental and social topics um, that are most important to you and, and to your communication and disclosure. So they have principles around context, materiality and stakeholder engagement to help you work out of all of the multitude of topics and issues I could be focusing on and it's kind of doing my head in to, to work out um, and deal with all of those. Here's a set of principles that's freely available that you can use to sort of structurally go through and say, okay, here are the things that, that should be the, the focus of my um, efforts and this is why. So when you look at your context, where do you operate? Are you national? Um, are you a single site? Um, what sector do you work in? Um, so very often there's a lot of tools um, and guidance around based on what sector um, your business is in there's a lot of topics that jump out at you straight away just based on um, that sector and then looking at um, materiality around what do your peers identify so I, if there are bigger players in your sector um, what sorts of things are they looking at and and would that resonate for my business um, as well and there's a chance that it would are you subject to specific regulations when it comes to environment or social topics um, that, that others might not be because of the nature of your business and the business model. And then one of the mo more significant ones that is, it is really scalable too is around stakeholder engagement. And this is where the communication piece is really important. Working out well, who your stakeholders are, who do you sell to, who do you buy from, who do you get your money from, um, what sort of topics are they interested in? What would influence their decisions about you um, as a business? So when a BHP does this sort of exercise, it's obviously across um, multiple countries in multiple languages, in hundreds of different places, potentially thousands of, of stakeholders or giving sort of feedback about, um, about hundreds of topics of interest. Um, but it's also very scalable too. If you're a small business operating in one location um, and you've got, you know, two um, suppliers, for example, or you only sell to five large customers, um, then it's equally asking them what they think, what's important to them in terms of environment and social issues and your, your impacts. What do they want to know more about? What would influence their um, decision-making about you? So those sorts of things are really very scalable and all of those GRI standards are freely available off the website. And so I guess coming back to the, the greenwashing part of it, it sounds like just as much as the performance data, the, the actual hard numbers, which um, John Purcell was mentioning, um, a lot of organizations are beginning to assure in the same way that they would with financial data. Mm -hmm. um, those principles that you touched on, context and materiality and stakeholder engagement, I guess that's really what it comes down to in making sure that a company is not just um, putting up a bunch of pretty pictures or the things that they think people want to see, but are actually being held to a bit of a standard of being required to engage with their stakeholders and report on the things that are most material or important to their stakeholders and to their actual impacts in the world. Yeah, look, it doesn't, it do, I don't think having the, the GRI standards or any standard for that matter sort of um, absolutely prevents some greenwashing and, and what we're seeing with, um, with the UN SDGs when they call it um, blue washing as well. Um, so there's a fair bit of blue washing going on too, where, where the relationships are all very tenuous and these pretty coloured tiles from the UN SDGs. Um, and it's, I think there is um, a level of authenticity um, that, that's required and some scepticism when it comes to, whenever I open a sustainability report, um, a, you know, the bigger, the glossier the report, the more sceptical I tend to be. 
<laughs> maybe I've been working in that too long, but always you should always look at some of these um, disclosures and communication materials with a skeptical eye. And there is a compulsion for the larger companies that, that are saying that they're doing this in accordance with a standard like GRI is that they have to disclose what their process is. Um, did they engage stakeholders? How did they work out what their most significant um, or important issues of focus are? Um, and they have to disclose that methodology or um, instead of, they can't sort of say, well, they could, but they're up to readers to look at it and say, is that good enough? Is that what I would expect um, a company of this size to, in this sector in this contemporary setting to be doing? Should they be talking to more people? Should they be talking to other people? Um, should they be disclosing um, or communicating a bit more about how they worked out um, who was important to talk to or what their most significant issues were? So I think that there's still an element there in some of the practice that certainly needs to be assured and policed. The standards don't actually do that, um, but others that's left to other organisations to, to do. But you always, as a stakeholder, look at these um, disclosures and, and communications with, with a, a critical eye to say, does that really meet expectations? Would have, I have expected more, um, more rigour here, more disclosure there, um, and even doing a, a look at um, a media search for what's, what's been said about that company in the past 12 months versus what they've said in their um, sustainability report. You can tell pretty quickly, if have they not dealt with some of the controversial content over the past 12 months? Yes, which with a lot of businesses are very hesitant and reluctant to do, even when it's been all over the media. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, and I think that is a trap for young players, even for SMEs, is, you know, is to be, you really do need to be um, uh, authentic um, so don't sugarcoat, you know, even large companies get some free kicks for being honest about when they get it wrong. Um, there is a certain amount of trust um, that does come from admitting that you made a mistake or that this could have been managed a hell of a lot, a hell of a lot better. Um, or yes, we're, we're doing, we're going to be doing better on, on this. We did, you know, we have had some problems with this acquisition or um, that particular piece. But I would encourage um, beginners especially to be really authentic when with your challenges um, because most people um, want to talk about all the good stuff they're doing and that's human nature. But you do have to also manage um, where you're not doing so well and be quite um, transparent where you, where you want to improve. Um, and that's, I think that's a really important lesson from the past 20 or 30 years of watching the big guys um, make mistakes. Um, some of them learn from them, some not so much. And I think we could name some names, but um, that's, that goes with the territory. And one of the things that I sometimes come back to um, a CEO from the States, Jeff Hollander, um, he was the founding CEO of a group called Seventh Generation, which was a, a cleaning products company in the US. Um, and he said that um, when, when he was talking about radical transparency, and he said that generally with talking to your stakeholders, um, the old paradigm of having a business, no matter how big or small, saying that it's sustainable or that it's got a particular purpose, um, and thinking that it can control all of that communication and message. Um, that's not really true. The, the conversations and the decisions about whether you've got a, a purpose that's, that's worthy, whether or not you're sustainable or not, or doing well on those things, all of those conversations actually happen outside of the business. They happen with your suppliers, your customers, um, your bank, your other commercial relationships, the people who live in the communities where you operate, that's where those sort of conversations and decisions occur. So that's where that stakeholder engagement piece is, is ongoing and really important when it comes to sort of reporting and talking about what it is you're doing, what progress you're making, um, where you need to improve, what you're going to do next, 
all of those things are a sort of an ongoing discussion with those stakeholders who are ultimately making decisions about your business every day. They're not necessarily sharing that um, with you. Um, and, and this is this sort of disclosure and communication is an invitation to, to do that and to get that two-way discussion going. Yeah, two-way discussion is such an important thing. And I think that if you're not really engaging in those conversations, then anything you're saying in your report is just going to sound tone deaf, honestly, like totally disconnected. Yeah, yeah. And it's not unusual to still see elements of that, especially from the big fellas. But um, there's much more that, you know, SMEs um, do some really elegant, great sort of work in, in this in this area. There's not necessarily writ large amongst the standard setting organisations or anything like that, but it's still, um, it, it's still fit for purpose and it's still um, really innovative as well. And it it's meeting these sort of technical criteria without actually even knowing it because they're quite intuitive in terms of their responses. That's, that's such a good point. And um, so we did have Pete Yao from Thank You yesterday. And I think that they are a good example of being radically transparent and authentic in admitting their faults. We also spoke with um, Fiona Kilaki this morning, um, who f does a lot of marketing for purpose driven businesses. And she had very similar, you know, be very open about uh, mistakes and bringing people along the journey that you're not perfect yet but um you're heading in that direction so um so you've really nailed it i think in in continuing on in that theme um can you give us some other examples of some small businesses that you think are doing really well in, in that authenticity yeah so look i think the notion that, that that's most useful, I think, to SMEs is to think about this kind of reporting, capital R reporting. It's really just assembling kind of a base of information. Um, and then how you slice and dice that and who you communicate it to and how you do it is, is up to you, right? So you're not going to necessarily produce some great sort of war and peace um, publication as your communication on sustainability. So you can take the um, data that you're collecting, um, some of the, the narrative about what you're doing, what you're focusing on, and, and run that through all of your social media, um, run it through, um, you know, different um, other things like, like I've seen organisations that sort of print little factoids um, on their um, labelling or their packaging. Um, in some way. And don't feel like you have to communicate all things to all people all the time. So some of this is quite iterative. There might be one um, area where you've, you've focused on for a while and then you move on to the, the next one. So not trying to bite off too much all at once. Um, and then putting those onto um, sort of bespoke and, and appropriate um, tools that you've already got to help communicate that randomly and ask for that feedback. So another good example, and it's very old school, was in a, a chain of coffee shops that I saw and they just used a little bulletin board with post-it notes. Um, and as people stand waiting for their coffee to be made, everyone sort of stands and looks at said notice board and the notice board was asking for feedback um, about um, where they were purchasing their um, coffee beans from and the impacts associated with coffee production and, and sort of testing the market in a way um, and getting feedback about what consumers were looking for in terms of certification of, of coffee products. And it was really a, a sort of a classic style old bulletin board with a bunch of post-it notes that, that for people to write on um, and they were sort of collecting those it was and it had all these you know really great ideas sort of littered all over it from the from the consumers that come in and out of the coffee shop every day so it's important to um, not overlook those really basic communication pieces like just actually having a face-to-face -face with your with one a, a large customer or um, you know a supplier in that sense and just asking um, you'd be surprised. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be um, a sort of whiz-bang piece of software um, for you to use to get something valuable from it um, and help with that um, progress in terms of that, that journey. Mm. 
And I think that small businesses actually have an advantage in that, you know, that small businesses are generally more, you know, have a, a pulse, like their finger on the pulse of, of their customers and are generally a little bit more, yeah, two-way communication, I guess, for their customers. You know, a, a small business can't get very far without understanding the needs of their customers because they just don't have the the bulk, the the volume. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the other thing that, that's important to do is is perhaps not trying to do all of tackle, you know, your five big ticket items. Even once you work out what your five big topics or issues are, you don't have to do tackle all of them at once and do a stellar job on all of them. And and I was looking at, at a, a furniture manufacturer in Melbourne, um, Jardin, that's um, privately owned. They do a, a report, a, a short report every couple of years, I think. Um, but they started off with um, their purpose being around sustainable design um, and then wanted to do work on being carbon neutral in terms of their products. And so they did that for quite a few years and then thought, oh, okay, there's probably other stuff that we should be doing or or could be doing, um, not just focused on carbon, we have other impacts too. Let's look at some of those around waste. Um, let's look at what we, what's going on with um, diversity in our workplace. And, and so started building, building out that capacity a little bit more as the discussion um, evolved with, with the customer base and, and also in the, in the sector that they were in too, yeah. Awesome. Um, good timing, Tanya, because I was <laughs> ask people to start putting some some questions in the chat box. So Tanya asks, um, uh, notes that today we've heard about B certifications and how accountants have to incorporate more ESG into financial reporting. So she's heard of an organization called Worldwide Generation out of the UK who are working with large corporations. Are there many other certifications or measurement organizations like that? But do, so to um, incorporating ESG into financial reporting or just doing more certifications or? Um, you can also the question. question, obviously there's like SASB and there's- Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. So in terms of, yes, <laughs> I did see something recently, which, I mean, you could Google it, um, that PwC, um, did a piece looking at ESG in Asia. And on one page they had, we often talk about the alphabet soup of certifications and standard setters and, and, and all of this work. Um, on one particular page, they've got a, a wheel that's got little spokes in it um, for the different, the frameworks, um, the standards, the rating organizations, um, all of those. And then around the outside, all of the acronyms. and there, there were a huge number. I think there's um, there's certainly a lot, of, no shortage. There's there's a bit the big five um, standard setting organisations when it comes to um, sustainability reporting in some way. Um, some are standard setters, some um, are with frameworks. So you've got the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, and um, those standards are freely available too. You've also got the Carbon Disclosure Project, the Integrated Reporting Council. So there's a, there are a bunch of the frameworks. But when it comes to certification and measurement organisations, there's another suite, another group um, of the ESG rating and ranking organisations. So what they do is take the information that's publicly available about companies and then um, put it through their own filters and their own assessments um, and create um, a report to um, potential investors about where they see the performance of that company across um, ESG. Sometimes that they're voluntary. So things like the big, the Dow Jones Sustainability um, Index is arguably the largest, um, most mature kid on the block when it comes to that sort of work. And, and you can see the results from some of that. And that's not for the faint hearted, that's very large. Um, but increasingly we're seeing um, things like MSCI, Sustainalytics, there's a whole bunch of ESG raters um, out there um, who take that publicly available information and um, 
yeah, make sense of it and give certain companies their triple B or um, C plus when it comes to sustainability and ESG um, rating and ranking organisations. Mm. Um, she's asking to put them into the Facebook group. It's a very long list, um, but yes, we can definitely do some of those. Absolutely, I can send. There, there, there's. Look, there are so many of them, and they all occupy slightly different spaces, right? Because this is a young um, industry, and I think um, something that that is even occurring, even as even as recently as two weeks ago, the um, I'll just check who it was, the European Securities and Markets Authority has just written to the European Commission um, asking that they consider regulating these ESG rating um, and assessment tools because there's such a plethora and you get different, it's a young industry, right? You do get different results. So on one index, you may have, you know, the top five companies might be these ones. On another index, they might appear a much further down and there's not necessarily a consistency about how that how that's working so that's a source of frustration and and, and I think I watch this space in terms of um, in terms of where regulators might take some of this work too. Yeah that's, that's a really good um, I mean that's a really promising thing I think to, to be heading in that direction. Yeah for eventually you know you've got all this activity and eventually a regulator comes along and says right everyone out of the pool you know (laughs) (laughs) and even like you know the dow jones one that you mentioned obviously it's really only relevant to the the biggest corporations around the world but you're always a little bit surprised when those come out each year and you're going really coles and woolies are some of the most sustainable companies in the world Working, yeah. Well, you know, and look, there there was a sort of a crisis of confidence a few years ago um, when the darling of the automotive sector in that ranking was Volkswagen. You know, just a few months before the emissions scandal hit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't want to sound too sceptical about this, but large, sophisticated organisations will tell large, sophisticated lies to lots of people. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's still an element of yeah, um, yeah. Still bring still bring your um, your your um, critical eye to the information that you see in all reports. Include it, well, I would say, including financial reports. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like John Purcell was talking about the practice in accounting of being skeptical, mm-hmm. and I think that that is so important because the exact same. Um, challenges and pitfalls I guess happen in other um, so in supply chains there's a lot of rating organizations or assessment organizations so you mentioned SEDEX um, which is one of the biggest platforms for getting all of your suppliers audited against social criteria but there's and that's more of a pass fail kind of thing but then there's also Ecovotics which is more of a holistic rating system um, but all, and SA 8000 as well is a more sort of mature social system, but all of those also are the ones that had been certifying a lot of suppliers that have gotten in trouble. So I believe um, one, of, one of the most um, massive um, supply chain incidents that we've seen, I'm trying to remember if it was the Rana Plaza collapse or the Tazreen fire, I believe one of those was actually certified against one of the highest standards in that social auditing space. And yet, obviously, there was a catastrophe there. So um, that those same pitfalls happen across the board when trying to impose a rating scheme on a business who might be doing, you know, saying one thing over here and doing something different over there. Yeah, it still happens. Yeah, and and you often get inconsistencies between what's in there on their website or their annual report or their sustainability report. There's sometimes that um, that occurring as well. But increasingly, we're seeing um, these larger organisations and the the um, the standard setters like GRI um, engaging much more with with SMEs. So GRI does have a um, a competitive business program it's called so it's it's running more capacity building work with SMEs and looking at how the the standards can be um, useful and scaled used in a scaled way so I think we put it on the um, uh, in the chat room or we can put it in the chat room 
Um, they've got a, we've got a publication called Small Business Big Impact, um, which is freely available. You can just Google it from the GRI website, um, which is looking at SME sustainability reporting. Um, and it unpacks these principles with the questions we talked about before so that you can use them to sort of get started with this sort of communication and, and disclosure without having to do the sort of the BHP scale um, effort when it comes to this work. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, okay, so so touching on that, I guess, what would you say um, is your number one piece of advice or, or the one important thing that a small business could learn perhaps from that document on um, yeah, how to communicate their sustainability approach and credentials? Well, it actually doesn't come from that document. Yeah. <laughs> I have got a piece. Two little two word two bits of wisdom in, in terms of watching organizations, even large organizations, get this get this wrong um, is, you know, the first thing is to keep it real. So that level of authenticity is really um, important. And you, you get a lot of um, kudos from people for, for, for that, for being honest about um, what you're doing, um, where, you, where things are going, um, where you've got your challenges, um, where things are going well, where things are not going so well where where you think you're you're um you need to sort of focus your work and don't sugarcoat if you get a disappointing result so it's not unusual to go all guns blazing and want to publish your um put on your website or attach to your facebook page you're reducing energy consumption because that's really great and only to find that actually it's not sort of going down as fast as we hoped or it's actually gone up and we don't know why um, so it's really important to be um, honest about showing what you're doing and you do see those other um, forms of communication which are attached to to reporting around um, radical transparency like um, like chook tracker and things like that, which you, you may have talked about earlier. So that Chook Tracker is a, um, a, a camera feed, live feed from a, um, a free range chicken farm. Um, and to cut through all of the narrative, we could write war and peace about what constitutes free range, free range um, uh, eggs. We could do a lot of communication on um, what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, instead, they put um, on their website this thing called Chook Tracker, which is just a live feed from the Chook Farm that shows the, the hens out in the sun or under the shade on a hot day, sort of scratching around. And and there's a there's an immediate sort of effect from consumers um, about, okay, well that's that's pretty blunt communication, right? That's in lots of ways. So being that level of kind of authenticity and honesty about where you're at. Um, and where, where you're doing well and where you're not doing well. And the second one is to not bite off too much. So even the great Ray Anderson, who um, was an inspiration to, to many people in the corporate sort of sustainability field um, as the sort of founder of Interface, his mantra was when people asked him, oh, gosh, how did you become you know, one of these darlings of the sustainability area. And, and his response, well, well, he just thought, well, we'll just do something and then we'll do something else, you know? So it's kind of just don't, don't be too um, concerned about where, how to start, where to start. Just start off with doing something to build your confidence as well. Even if it's a small sort of cottage thing, communicate that, ask stakeholders what they think about that before moving on to the next the next thing so yeah I, I think that's a really important mantra even for big business as much as smalls do something may not be the right thing or the most important thing to start with mm. um, but you'll learn a lot from it and you can build your confidence your staff your team's confidence um, from doing that yeah do something that's mm. <laughs> just do it just do something <laughs> yeah, just do something and then do something else yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and I, I really like the, the first point as well about, um, yeah, keeping it real because I was, I was um, realizing there's a really great uh, like comparison here between, you know, if you're talking to someone who's really, really buff or like, you know, maybe someone who wants to be your personal trainer or something and they're like so fit and they're talking about how many reps they do and how much weight they do and how many like kilometers they run and you just turn off mm -hmm. because you're like, 
that is just so not even in my realm of understanding right now. So I think it's a lot more engaging for people to actually, but you're also really, really fascinated when you see someone and you follow someone's journey from being overweight, but forcing themselves to get off the couch Mm -hmm. and that weight. I mean, they make reality shows out of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the honesty about having the, you know, falling in a hole and having half a pizza one day along the way you know that that's the kind of authenticity we want to see in sustainability reporting because invariably those things are there you know things go wrong all the time yeah all the time um now Natalia has asked a very difficult question because this is honestly like the challenge of the entire sustainability consulting industry um with the UN decade of ecological restoration um and scientists from uh, sorry, scientists stating that our time to make change is not 10 years, mm. but shorter, obviously, because we need to start bringing it down before we get to that mm. uh, the level we need to be. What communications are being made to engage corporations and all of us to mobilize more quickly? Yeah, look, that's, I think the... The thing that I've seen, and it's not necessarily on communications, but the things that are, the thing that I've seen that has really changed in the past um, five, 10 years compared to the part, the previous 30 was how this kind of work in reporting and um, sustainability communications, when standards like GRI first started, the conferences were sponsored by, um, you know, had lots of NGOs there. So Greenpeace was there. Greenpeace was a big sponsor or someone like someone similar um there were lots of ngos there there was you know businesses the coalition of the willing in terms of businesses the last conference was was sponsored by bloomberg so this the shift from the um the fringe you know that's still really important obviously ngos and it being seen as a as an ngo um concern the mainstreaming of the need for this information, the need for this kind of communication um, has really ramped up. And now the organisations with their hands on the biggest drivers and who are keen to have an impact is is in the finance sector, particularly on climate change and the climate emergency. So regardless of what we might be hearing today from various actors in or around Canberra, um, the caravan's already moved on in in that sense so the the emergency I think that has been um, absorbed by that message has I think already been absorbed by the global finance community and they've got already their own structure and language through the task force on climate related financial disclosures Um, and we're seeing very very quietly you won't read about this in the you won't hear about this on the nightly news, but when you have the Reserve Bank working with CSIRO um, and you have, um, you know, the APRA, the Prudential Regulator and ASIC um, all starting to tweak their regulations and sort of move on some of these things when it comes to companies. And you've got um, the large banks responding. So the banks have to look at a vulnerability assessment of their lending portfolios in Australia. So I think now that those, um, the the climate emergency language has become much more embedded in the finance sector and and that's really making people sit up and and pay attention. Federal policy will do what federal policy will do, um, bringing up the rear later. Um, But in the meantime, the money's really, um, really sort of voted, um, voted already. Um, So I think there is still, there's obviously a need to um, mainstream that across lots of other groups in the general public and in um, in policy. Um, but I think the the big players now that you have someone like Mark Carney, who was ex-head of the, the, the Bank of England um, and who was on the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, he's now a special envoy at the UN on climate finance. Um, so that's a real that's quite a that's a huge um that's a really huge shift so i think they've absorbed having the finance sector 
absorb the notion of climate risk has been probably the the biggest change in the past um, five five years or so. I agree, though, there's still a lot of work to be done with some of our, um, it's a di still a different conversation in Australia to what it is in other parts of the world. But I think through their sustainability reports, some of our biggest companies like UBHPs, like all the banks, are actually agreeing with, yes, it's a climate emergency, we need to get on with stuff, right? So I think we have them, you know, behind um, behind the push. That's, that's it. I think that the businesses, like our government obviously is lagging around their targets in this space, but businesses within Australia and are, I think are pretty close to even with businesses around the world in terms of, as you were just saying, that um, the TCFD and the financial space has created this acceleration of every business announcing a net zero carbon by 2030. And I think honestly, within the next two years, it'll you'll be hard pressed to find a large company that doesn't have that target anymore because they're all going, well, damn, now everyone else has done it. I'm really feeling the pressure to do it um, as well. So yeah, the, the businesses are absolutely leading the way well beyond policy in Australia. Yes, yeah, and I'd, I'd highly recommend looking at in terms of why we've still got some of this language. There was an interesting quarterly essay, was it last year, um, maybe like the year before, on looking at, um, you know, the, the, the role of the coal lobby in federal policy um, and with, with party politics. I can't remember what it's called, but if you, if you Google the homepage of the quarterly essay, um, There'll be, there was one in, in recent times that looked at that. It's a good backgrounder for um, the conversations that we've just heard in the news in the past 24 hours. Mm, interesting. All right. Well, we've already kept people a bit long, so, um, but thank you so much for your fabulous questions. It certainly makes for more interesting um, discussions. And um, Thank you, Robin, so much for your time and your insights. I'll definitely share those GRI links straight away. And um, perhaps, Robin, you and I can put our heads together on what that list of organizations and indexes that you listed was, because I know yes. it's quite a long list. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and everyone, thank you so much for being engaged as part of this summit. Uh, for sticking around until the end. Many of you have been at every single session. So um, I'm, I'm very impressed at yeah. your commitment for the course of two days. And I am thrilled to see you going off with all of this information back into your own businesses, really inspired to, um, to reshape your businesses around purpose and to tap in to all of this opportunity that we've been talking about. Um, this Facebook group will continue. I'm going to morph it into a space where businesses like this can continue to talk to each other and share ideas. And you will also um, be on my mailing list as well. So um, I will continue to share information in this space with you. So thank you so much, everyone. And thank you so much, Robin. No worries. Thank you. Yes. Bye. Bye. Have a good evening.